on finances and how to be free from the fear of not having money. Now, in our previous sessions, we have seen that the fear of not having money is actually based in man not believing that he will have bodily immortality, where we confuse eternal life with the typical Greek philosophy mindset of eternal life belongs to the spirit. And that when we die, the whole idea is to try and go to heaven. And where we see salvation as salvation from hell, where our spirits will not go to hell, but will go to heaven. Where we would see in the Bible, and this is the truth about the matter, is that salvation in Hebrews is defined as Jesus being saved from death, wherein his body has not seen corruption, but where he has bodily experienced immortality, and where the desire for life that Jesus had as a physical human was satisfied in the Father raising him from the dead. And what we've concluded in the previous two sessions is that every human being seeks eternal life. We are seeking the fountain of youth. We want to live. And what we have done is in our gospel that we've preached is we've preached that our spirits are born again, our souls are being saved, and our bodies shall be saved. And we have actually put the whole bodily salvation a little bit on the back burner and put everything into the spirit, leaving the body screaming for the confirmation and the truth of its salvation, leaving the body, the mind, the brain, everything that forms your emotions, the, 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 your whole physicality, the human body, whatever the human body can think of and its abilities. We've excluded that from salvation. The, the greatest part we had in salvation as pertains to the body was miracle, signs, wonders and miracles. But the idea is that this whole world is going to burn up this is just a dirt bag. It's going to die. And we've preached salvation as you can have some money now. You can have health now. But we've never preached and secured in the heart of man what Jesus defined salvation to be, to be. And that is the resurrection of the body wherein we can partake in the life of Christ whereunto he ascended, which is a glorified human at the right hand of God. And when we can see God as our Father, as the one that brings forth life for our whole body, the complete human body, not just the spirit, but salvation is preached as that which Jesus was saved from, which means he was saved from bodily corruption in the grave, he was saved from death itself. His soul was not left in Hades, which is the place of the dead or hell or the unseen or having no mind or all those kind of things. You can go and read the definition of hell in the Greek for yourself. And 
where Jesus was saved from that and where he was actually then put at the right hand of the Father as a human being. Glory to God. That is what this whole thing is all about. And as we define salvation in those ways, we start to feel our body not screaming and making a noise for life. It's as if the flesh is now satisfied with the fact that life is also granted unto the flesh of man. Now I want to quickly go to a John, 1 John 4. And we, we're just going to recap a little bit for, the, for about next five or eight minutes. And then I'm getting into the message for today. It says in uh, 1 John 4, verse 18, Let's read from verse 16. It says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Okay, now, uh, what he is saying here, he says, We have known and believed the love of God. Now, for all of you that watch these programs regularly, you would know what it means if I say the love of God. The love of God, the Bible defines in John 3.16, is that God has given unto man his only begotten, which means that God has now presented the only human ever raised from the dead, sitting in equality with God, and has given that state of being unto man. Now that is great love. Think of that. We have thought that God has only given His Son to suffer on the cross. But that is not what John 3 says. We, when we see John 3, 16, we look and we think of the cross and the death on the cross. But the death on the cross does not define what it means to be begotten of God. We've seen clearly in Acts 13, verse 42, 43 and onwards, that the the Old Testament prophets prophesied that Jesus' resurrection would be what it means to be begotten of God. So Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, that day when he was raised from the dead was begotten of God, meaning that his physical body and every part of his physical body was born from the dead. He was born from Mary, but then Jesus' body was born again, but this time from physical death, from uh, 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 the grave, into a life where every fiber of his bodily or full human existence is now finding its origin in God, uh, uh, where the whole nature now is God, where he doesn't have a fleshly nature anymore, but his whole nature, every part of him, the cells of his skin, his eyes, every part of him, his mind, his brain, everything, is born of God himself, meaning that he, in as a human now, possesses that which God possesses, which is eternal life or immortality, which only God possessed. And now, this resurrection life, this 
life where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in eternal life, eternal bliss, all of that is now given unto us. That's what it means when it says in uh, 1 John 4, for we have known and believed the love that God has for us. So he says we have known, we've come to the experiential knowledge that Jesus was raised from the dead and we have also believed, talking about people who heard the gospel that Jesus was raised from the dead, we have believed this love that God has for us and we are now dwelling in this love. And as we are dwelling in this love, it means that we are dwelling in the message and in the logic of the resurrection. Now it says here that herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. And since the title of this series is uh, Being Set Free from the Fear of Not Having Money, we have to look at how fear is removed by the resurrection. So it says here, inside love, what is love? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Us being presented with the only begotten. When we are presented with a life of the only begotten, then, and we walk in that knowledge, we are walking in love, and that casts out fear. Fear of what? The Bible says in Hebrews that people were in bondage through the fear of death. So how are we in bondage financially? How are we in bondage uh, emotionally? How are we in bondage as pertaining to all these things? Bondage in our lives come from a fear of death and Jesus Christ as a physical human was given unto us as that which God has promised and as our hope. So what do we have as a hope? We have as a hope bodily immortality. And as you can know that your body would be eternally immortal, sure of life, that it cannot lose its life, that day your body will stop to scream for life and will not start to do things to try and have life. And fear will be taken from you, of which, taken away from you, of which the fear of having money is one. Now, I want us to uh, go to Another thing we've looked at is the word contentment, and I just want to quickly go there. The state or the biggest thing that happens to a person when he realizes this eternal life is he receives something called contentment. Now, now we're getting into the message for today now. When we look at contentment, wherein we are set free from financial fears, that contentment is a result of knowing that there's nothing you need to have eternal life. 
That is what it is. It literally means to be possessed of eternal strength. That's what it means. It means to be possessed of eternal strength. So um, what this is all about here is God has come to give us bodily immortality with, where we are possessed with eternal strength. That is what this is all about. So we can know for sure that we are strengthened with a knowledge of we will always be provided for because we cannot even physically die. Should we die, that bodily death by Paul was defined as a sleep. It was defined, he even says, those who have slept in Christ. It is not even defined by Paul as death. It is like a sleep. It's something you can be woken up out of. That is what it's all about. So when, if you can be woken up out of that sleep, it means your mind should think of it as what you go to bed at night and you know I'm waking up in the morning. Th that is what it's all about. It's thinking of it that way. If I can know I'm waking up tomorrow morning for sure, I will be in no stress. But if I don't have the surety that I will wake up in the morning, you will find me stress. You, you will, the only thing that can give me peace is if I know I can bodily wake up in the morning. If you tell me, listen, your body will not wake up in the morning. Your body is going to stay in bed and it's never going to wake. You'll find stress inside me. I will try to do everything to get this body to wake up in the morning. That is what we do. When people get sick, when they get ill, we get people, they, they've got cancer in the, in, in the worst case. There's no way they're going to survive that. But what we'll do is we will keep them on a machine or we'll do something because, because we don't want to deal with the fact and we will do everything possible to preserve that life. We will develop technology. We will do all those things. Our natural mind will go into action, grab a hold of anything possible to make sure that we will wake up in the morning. Now, on a greater scale, if we think of physical death, our bodies are dying. There's a day when our physical bodies will die. And we cannot think of that, that we can be physically woken up out of that. You can try and say, I am just a spirit and all those kind of things. Your body is not settling for that. And you can try and have mind over matter, which is what has happened in the church. But the body is not satisfied. The body doesn't want to hear that. The body wants to know that it is going to live forever. And unless you can provide the body with that information, the body will continue to do the weirdest things, which we're going to look at today, that will destroy you. I want to just go to Colossians quickly and um, read a passage from Colossians. The Bible says clearly, that the, let me just find that, in, um, in verse 21, Colossians 2, 21, it says, Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are, talk about the law. It says, why do you believe laws like touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments of men and doctrines of men, which things indeed have a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglect of the body, 
not in any honor to, to the satisfying of the flesh. So what he's saying is laws, rules, regulations cannot satisfy your flesh. Why? Because by the law, you don't have the surety of eternal life. And your body will try and do everything to have eternal life. And everything and all this started in Genesis 3 verse 6. Now, before we go to Genesis, 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says something very interesting. And please remember, we're talking about money here. We're talking about money. You might say, Bertie, I haven't even heard anything about sowing and reaping yet. I haven't heard anything about tithing yet. Now, I want to tell you, the reason why you haven't heard anything about that is because sowing and reaping cannot set you free from the fear of not having money. What sowing and reaping does is it tries to satisfy the lust of the flesh. Because if you are saying, I am sowing so that I can have more money, and the sowing that I have is I'm putting seed in the ground and my expectation is I'm going to reap more money. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? Why are you taking care for tomorrow? Don't you know the birds of the air? They don't do that. Yet your heavenly Father provides for them. Can you not know you are worth more than they? Can you not know that life is more than eating and drinking and all these principles of gathering up and business and everything you think you need to do? Business, I'm talking about church business, where you drive the church as a business with principles, trying to make financial prosperity come your way. The thing is, in the sowing and reaping and traditional tithing teaching, what has happened is man's flesh thinks that he needs more money to survive. And now we've taken the Bible and we've tried to use the Bible to provide the money that the flesh thinks it needs to survive. And now people fall for that. And that's why it's big. That's why it's growing. That's why people are giving because it's simply a feeding of the lust but it will never satisfy the flesh. And that's why you can look at those things taking place in churches and you look at it and you are saying, my goodness, I cannot believe that people are doing this. Well, to them, it's a life and death matter. Their flesh is saying, unless I do this, I'm going to die. And I'm going to try and follow this principle so that I can live longer, have more prosperity and all those kind of things. I want to tell you, you will not be able to be tempted with things like that if you already know and if your mind, your subconscious mind, the depth of your heart and your being is flooded with the knowledge of eternal life. If you have seen the salvation message not as a going to heaven message but as a being saved from a sin and physical death wherein salvation comes to the to the human bodily once your heart is settled into that the mind will not come up with clever ideas and things that you never thought you could think of uh, in being evil it will be at rest it would be calm we're going to see that from the scripture as well so here it says that the flesh wants to be satisfied how's the flesh satisfied the flesh can only be satisfied with eternal life. 
the, the uh, uh, Psalms even says that God would not allow His Holy One to see corruption or decay. That's why He was raised from the dead. So Jesus did not partake in corruption, but His body was saved and He has eternal life. He is living forever. And that's how salvation is defined. And we see salvation as that. The moment you start to see that, your body will not try to do things and have its, a mind of its own wherein trying to have life. It's almost like if you are, uh, if a doctor comes and he tells a patient that that patient has, uh, has got a, a, a certain condition and it is, and it can even be something very terrible, you know. Well, let me put it this way. If, I am if I'm here in the studio, but I am thinking and I'm knowing there's a fire outside and that fire is going to destroy my house and is going to burn me to death, I want to tell you that fear of dying, of, of that not knowing I will live, do you know how difficult it would be for me? To preach this message. It'd be very difficult. I would not be able to concentrate on this message. Why? Because my body is saying you're going to die. But if there's a fire three houses from here and there's a fire brigade and they're doing a good job, you know what? I'll continue with this message. I'll preach it no problem at all. No problem at all. Because my body would be able to take the brain and focus on the message Focus on the camera, focus on what I want to say, because it is sure that it will live. That's why it can give its full attention. But doesn't matter how good this word sounds now, if I know there's a fire out here, I, I, I tell you this, although my inner man would try to say, think of the word, this body would say, listen, tell these guys, we can preach next week again and go and solve this problem. And that's the same thing. If we don't have the resurrection of the body to the point that the body is satisfied with eternal life, we will find that this body will lose focus, lose attention, and want to do things to secure its own safety. And that's where stress for money comes in. Now this started with, it's all about desire. It's all about lust. Now, we've seen lust just as a negative thing, sexual lust. But it's all about the desire for eternal life. And it started in Genesis 3.6. And let us just go there quickly. Genesis 3.6. Listen to this. It says, <clears throat> This is the devil tempting Eve, and it says to her in verse 5, For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, that your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, meaning you will be self-existing ones, from the perspective of knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, listen to this, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, a tree to be desired to make one wise. In other words, there was already something that says, 
I am now desiring life. Can you see that? She's already, when her, here she was, God promises her eternal life and say to her, inside me, your life is secure. The devil comes and tells her, you cannot trust God. The moment you cannot trust God, what is she doing now? Now she's in a desire for life. She is, she's already heard now that in God, she doesn't have the surety of eternal life. She doesn't have. Where am I going to go now? How will I live? And then a desire. She looked at a certain wisdom and she said, I am now desiring that. I've got a desire to be wise. I've got a desire now unto the street. This is desirable to make me wise. When you read that wise there, you must always read that in the Jewish context as wisdom unto how to live forever. That's how it is. That's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God unto us. The wisdom on how to live forever is in Jesus. So she immediately looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and a desire came into her. Well, I've got a desire now for a wisdom on how to live forever because I'm not having eternal life because I'm not connected to God. He's lying to me. And when doubt came in, a desire in man's flesh on how to preserve his own life came in and that destroys everything. Now I want to go to 2 Peter quickly and then we're going to start to put this message together. 2 Peter 1 verse 4. It says here, let's read from verse 3, it says, According to His divine power has been given unto us all things that pertains unto life and godliness. So by Jesus and by God's divine power, which is the resurrection power, has been given unto us everything that pertains unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in this world through desire or lust. Now, what is the context here? And I want you to hear, please hear me, because this can set you free from the fear of not having money. This can set you free from the absolute fear of what will happen if the government does this, the government does that. Spoke to a friend of mine in, in Canada, you know, they've legalized marijuana there. I think you've guys beaten us to that. <laughs> in, you know, in South Africa, they've just also like legalized marijuana. Now, when we think of that, we think, oh, what is the world going to, wh what's going to happen to the world? And it's a natural thing that grabs us. I mean, my goodness, imagine you can now, and it, it seems to me, I mean, they're putting out the law and exactly what it means, but it seems to me like in South Africa, you can now, in the privacy of your own home, grow the marijuana here as much as you like and smoke it as much as you like as long as what it's in private. So in the privacy of your own home, you can smoke it until you've smoked your brains out. You know, and you sit with this thing of, well... High for a moment, slow for a lifetime. And you've got that mindset and you're thinking of the whole world. And you're thinking of the leaders of tomorrow. 
becoming slow. And it's things that want to grab a hold of your mind. But I want to say to you that inside me, when I heard that, my mind said, well, that's not good, it's bad. But inside my heart, I was very sure I'll be fine. I was very sure of that. And that was not because I was thinking, well, you know, uh, the country is okay and this and that. There was an inner surety that came from the knowledge that me as a person bodily will live forever. Uh, I cannot die. You might say, Betty, so are you saying that you're never going to die in, in this world here? What I say is that if Jesus does not return within the next 50 years, you know, or 60 years, I don't know how old I'll become, but th then I'm out of here. You know, in the sense of I'm dying. Paul calls it those who has slept in Christ. That's what he's saying. But I know I'll be woken up and I will live forever. That's it. And I'm very sure of that. And every fiber of my being bodily starts to know that. Therefore, I, you, you don't find all of a sudden, when you hear this wrong thing, your body te is tempted now with ten works on how to secure your own life. And fear is taken out of the way. How? By simply knowing the resurrection power of Jesus. Now let's go now back to Peter. And we read these verses, and I want you to hear this. It says in uh, 1 Peter 3 here, let's read from verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the acknowledge, acknowledgement of God and of Jesus, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertains to life and godliness. So he says here, Grace and peace be multiplied, and the grace and peace be multiplied, how? According to his divine power. What is he talking about when he's talking about divine power? He's talking about the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. It says in that power, as we acknowledge Jesus seated as a human at the right hand of God, it says that power gives us everything that we need today in this life and as pertaining to all forms of godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory. Glory talks about immortal human body. That's what it means. And virtue, it is a good life now. That's what it means. Whereby are given unto us, in other words, by this resurrection divine power, is given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So what has God done? He says, I'm promising you exceeding great things. What is he promising us? We've got the hope of immortality, knowing that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily, and now our body, of which our brain is part of, our subconscious mind is part of, is now at peace, not trying to produce life and the surety that it will have eternal existence and life and bliss. The moment it knows it, it's not going to try and run around frantically. Trying to preserve its own life. Bringing forth the weirdest things, which we will still look at. Now it says, by these promises that we might be made partakers 
of the divine nature. Now, what is divine nature? Divine nature means eternal life. That's the divine, the, the nature of the divine God. So he says, by a promise, we will be made partakers. We are promised eternal life. And as we are promised eternal life, and the very nature of God, which is to have no beginning and have no end, we are also partakers now of godly living, wherein we are set free from fear, of which one is the fear of not having money. Now let's, let's go on. You're going you're gonna to be blessed with us. It says here, having escaped. So what is he saying? Our bodies are screaming... We as humans are screaming for the surety of complete human salvation, not spirit salvation. Well, I'm righteous in my spirit. Rubbish. Rubbish. I'm righteous as a human, not in my spirit. That's rubbish. That is not the good news, although it might be very good news for somebody that has got a legalistic mind. Now I want to say to you, God's not looking at your righteous spirit. No. God is looking at the righteous human Jesus and what is true about him is true about you. He calls himself your father. Meaning he is saying when he says that he's your father, he's saying to you belong the very life of Jesus. And I promise you, that you are my son and the, that you shall be manifested as this son, Jesus, who shines like the sun, brighter than the sun. You'll be manifested as this. I promise you that. And as our hearts are resting in what God has promised us, we're not trying to produce our own lives anymore. And the moment we rest in that, the Bible says here that by these promises, we are made partakers of the divine nature. Romans 8 says it's different. It says we are saved today from the things of this world by the hope we have. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. So how do we escape the corruption that's in this world? Corruption, corruption actually means decay. But even if you want to look at it in a different sense, like corruption, corrupt government officials, corrupt people, financial corruptness, fear that comes all from fear and everything. How do we escape that? By the promise of eternal life. Can you see how the scripture here clearly teaches that the flesh needs to know that it has eternal life and the law cannot satisfy the flesh with the knowledge of eternal life. But if we look at Jesus that has the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we can see we have that fullness, what will happen to us? We will say, glory to God. We can live forever. And the moment your flesh is satisfied with that, what has happened? You are now, all of a sudden, being made a partaker of the divine nature, and you've now escaped the desire you've escaped the corruption of this world which is because of a desire for life and that desire is only there because you don't know you're going to have it if you know it is yours you will not desire it anymore because you know it's yours that lust for life brings forth the flesh's own effort to produce life 
And that we find to be a very big problem because the Bible says the fruit of the flesh. Now when I talk about the fruit of the flesh, what that means is the fruit of the flesh, not knowing that God has given it eternal life that tries by the law to preserve its own life is hatred, bitterness, and all that. Let's read that. Let's read Galatians 5.19. I hope you hear what I'm saying, church. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, and it are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So the fruit of the Spirit, the effect of knowing that the Spirit raised Christ from the dead and that I have that Spirit and that I will have bodily resurrection, the fruit of that Spirit of life, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Why is it love? Because I know I've got enough. And now I can actually provide life for someone else. I want to give to someone. I want to love him. I am happy. Why? Nothing can be taken from me. I'm sure I'm going to live forever. I've got peace. Why? Because I see the resurrected Jesus at the right hand of God in harmony with God, and I'm in harmony with God in Jesus. Long-suffering. Well, when I'm in a difficult time, I, I'm going through that. Why? Because I'm surely knowing. I'm going into this immortality for, that God has promised me. I'm gentle. I've got faithfulness. I've got all those things. Why? Because of my, the belief and the resurrection power that I am bodily secure, full humanly secure. Like Paul says, that you will be sanctified wholly, completely, spirit, soul, and body. And I like it that Paul said it that way because we have been so uh, Hellenized that we basically are thinking that we, we are just spirits. That's why Paul says, stop thinking like that. What I am meaning is when I talk about saved, I'm talking about spirit, soul, body, kept completely whole, that the whole package. That's what he's talking about. When our hearts believe that, and this is the point I want to get across. The fruit of that is love and joy. But if your heart does not believe that, and you've gone back to the works where you are not sure of your salvation, and you want to now, I'm talking about bodily salvation, your body will start to do things that you don't understand. You will find that you are in idolatry. Idolatry, the Bible says, is the love of money. That's what it says. Idolatry is the love of money. And I can't remember where, I've read that passage earlier. Uh, here it is. Um, in Colossians 3 verse 5. It says, Mortify your members therefore upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. What is covetousness? The love of money, which is idolatry. And when he comes and talks about the fruit of the Spirit here, he comes and he, he mentions things like adultery. Why, why do you want adultery? Because you are having a, lice, a lust for more life. So you are saying, well, I will have another wife as well. 
And I think what the flesh thinks, and this is my theory is, if you become one with someone sexually, you are actually, your flesh is saying, my life is now shared with that person's life. And because you are in a desire for life, and you're not sure that you having bodily immortality in Christ, your flesh wants more life. So it will look for people that it can grab their life from. So let me become one flesh with him. That's the, the subconscious knowledge of the flesh. I'll be sexually immoral. Why? Because that joins me with their life. I hope you can see that the solution for all problems and all corruption in this world is a physical resurrection and belief and in your unification with that physical resurrection. If you can see the resurrected Jesus for what he and who he truly is, and see what hope it brings you, you'll be set free from sexual immorality. That's it. Your body will not lust anymore. Your body will not try and do something to get more life. Even murder. I believe murder comes from, I want that one's life. Or, there's too many of us here. How will I live? Let me get someone out of the way so that I can have more surety of life. It's the weird things that the human body does to try and preserve its existence bodily because it is not satisfied with what was presented to it. The message of spirit, soul, body, spirit, perfect, going to heaven, soul and body, soul kind of, we don't know if it goes to heaven or where it goes, but it's a kind of a, a weird thing, and then body, dying, dirt bag, dust, and God gives us a new body in heaven. That kind of a teaching leaves the body stressed out. Stressed. And then that body tries to do anything it can bring up in its own mind, which doesn't even make sense to us. It's like Paul says, he says, with the inner man or my mind, I want to serve the law. But when I want to do the good so that I can live by doing the good, it's as if this body has got death inside it. It's got a death sentence. It knows it's not going to make it. And the good that I want to do, it cannot do. But the evil that I don't want to do, it does. For it is grabbing everything possible to try and make itself secure in life now. Only worrying about how to live now by its own ability. Let's read Matthew 6.19. It says, lay up, and I want you to, to, to see this now. And we're going to just do this in Colossians 3 and we're ending with that. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust do corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. Now you might say, you see there, Bertie, we you should just worry about heaven. Then it goes on, it says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust do corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart would be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, that word single there means to be braided into God. To be braided. Where you see you braided into the Godhead. Where you see a human, one with God, not dying. If your eye can see that, your whole body shall be full of life. Can you see how he is taking bodily enlightenment? He is saying... Don't make treasures on earth. In other words, don't think by what you can gather for yourself on earth. In other words, what he's saying is, don't think by your own ability. You can preserve your own life. 
Rather, let there be a treasure for you in heaven. And we're going to look at what that means. Let there be a treasure for you in heaven. Because where your treasure is, your belief system or your heart also will be. The Bible clearly says that out of a man's heart issues his life. Can you see that? Now, what does Jesus have in mind when he says, let, there, let your treasure be in heaven? And we might say, you see, Bertie, this is it. My treasure is in heaven. I'm going to my treasure. My treasure is to go to heaven. That is not what that scripture says. That scripture is actually not trying to exclude your physical body or you as a complete human, but it's trying to show you and assure you of how you as a full human Spirit, soul, and body can be sure to the point that your flesh, your body, will be fully satisfied that it's got physical, bodily immortality in the day of Jesus. That is what it is actually all about. It says here, uh, let, let's go on just verse 23 quickly. If your eye be evil or full of works, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. This is exactly what we've been talking about. If you can see yourself braided into the Godhead, if you can see physicality braided into the Godhead, which does not exclude this body today, then your body will be full of light. What that means is you will have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, and so forth. But if you don't see bodily unity with God, but only spiritually, you'll find your body stress all the time. You say, well, but the inner man, I'm trying to serve God, but this body is out of control. Yeah, because you haven't told the body how it's going to be saved, and it's unsure. And I want to tell you to listen to one of my messages and think that's enough. It's not going to do it. You haven't, your body was not programmed, your brain was not programmed with surety of salvation bodily for 25 years or as long as what you've been a Christian. Now you come and say to the body, okay, shut up now, you're also going to be saved, I also believe in a resurrection. Nope, that's not going to do it. You need a reprogramming, my friend, to the point that you can feel every fiber of your body believes it. That's what you need. That's how you be set free from the fear of not having money. But Bertie, I, I, I thought this is a get-rich-quick get scheme. It's, listen, this message doesn't guarantee financial security at all. It guarantees the security of your life. That's what it guarantees. And because your life is secure, the rest falls in place anyway. Okay. It goes on, it says there, but if the eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. Verse 26, no man can serve two masters for either hate the one and love the other or hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. My goodness. Here Jesus comes. He says you must have a treasure in heaven where it doesn't break in moth rust, where there is no decay. You must have a treasure where your heart is sure of immortality, where there is no decay. What he's saying is, when you are sure of no decay, then your heart will be in this revelation of no decay. 
And we know Proverbs 4 says that from the heart issues your life mean that as you've got this revelation of the resurrection, it will issue right into every area of your life. And your body will be full of the light of not worrying what's going to happen if I don't have money. Colossians 3. Let us explain to you biblically what it means to have a treasure in heaven. Colossians 3.1 If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not the things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory, mortify or Actually, it says, in this way, therefore, you can have your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, and which is idolatry. You can actually stop that and see that not manifest in you anymore, of which covetousness is one. How? By saying that this, that, that I've already died, but the life that I have is Christ, the bodily, immortal human. And the man that tries to preserve his life by his works is dead. But I am assured of the bodily resurrection. Glory to God. Let's read it again. It says, if you then be risen with Christ. Are we risen with Christ? Yes. Seek those things which are above. In other words, let your treasure be in heaven where Christ sits at the right hand of God. What does it mean to be at the right hand of God? I'm in equality with God. I cannot decay or corrupt or die. So it says, if you be risen with Christ, let your desire be or seek or what you want to learn more about. Let it be on that which is above in the revelation that of the human Jesus seated in equality with God and set your affections on that truth and not on the things of the world. In other words, I am not seeing my corruptibility anymore. I'm seeing my incorruption in Jesus, eternal life. And then it goes on, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, now he assures them of eternal salvation and bodily immortality. He says, you shall also appear with him in glory. Then he says, mortify therefore. In other words, because of this, we can now declare covetousness as dead. Can you see how the revelation of the resurrection can save you from covetousness? What is covetousness? The desire to have more money. Why do you have a desire to have more money? Because you're not sure of your bodily resurrection. You're not sure of bodily salvation. It's just a message that was there on the back burner of the church. I want to say to you, some would say, Matthew, why are you all the time preaching on the resurrection? We all know that there was a resurrection. Yes, we all know that there was a resurrection. I don't think you can be a Christian and not know that there is a resurrection, that there was a resurrection. 
But what that resurrection means and how to apply that to everyday life is not in the church. It's really not here. It is, there are other things preached. It is how to go to heaven, how to have another breakthrough, how to be the head and not the tail. Be positive every day. I'm, I'm tired of be positive every day. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear God lives, God is living my life in me. He is bringing forth that life. I want to be part of something where God is the author of my life. That's what I want to be part of. Nothing less than that. Let, let me just, something on the resurrection. L listen to this, 1 John 4 verse 1. This is what it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit or every doctrine, but test the doctrines where they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. In other words, the doctrine of Jesus. Every teaching that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, he doesn't say that Jesus is come in the flesh. He says that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. What he's saying here is, everyone that says that Jesus was physically raised and the doctrine is built on the physical resurrection of Jesus is of God. The, the rest is called anti-Christ, meaning anti the resurrection. Glory to God. I want to challenge, and I end this off, I want to challenge every preacher that's watching me. You might say, Bertie, I don't know, you know about this resurrection thing or whatever. I want to challenge you. Go, you can watch this on whatever TV station this is broadcasted on. I want to say to you, and I want to challenge you, go and ask God and say to God, God, you teach me on the resurrection and what it means. Teach me the effect of physical salvation, what it has on my body. People, we have made the resurrection a spiritual resurrection. So many people. I, I tell you, I've traveled through America. I've traveled in Europe. I've spoken to people. They say that every person has his own physical, his own resurrection the day he dies. I want to tell you that is a lie. It is not the truth. That will leave you stressing about money. That will leave your heart at a place where you undercover lust after women, lust after this, lust after that, and all those kind of things. It will leave you in the fruit of the flesh. You will be jealous if someone else is blessed. You will not want to see or share your secrets of the trade um, in ministry with people. I mean, if I look at this studio, I help people for free as much as possible. Tell them whatever I know on how to set up things, do it for free, make videos, I, I do it. Why? Because in my heart I know I'm living forever. I'm not threatened if someone else has got a ministry. Glory to God, let them have more. Let, the, let me help them. Th that is the way. Where does that come from? The surety that I, as a human, the fool me, will live forever. Hallelujah. In the resurrection, I will see you and I will say to you, it is me. Touch me. It is me. It's not another Bertie, some other body that I've received. It's me. 
I want to tell you the message of God will give you another body in the resurrection is rubbish. You need to hear a message that says this body shall be recreated into an undying body and that's the only thing that will satisfy your flesh with life. Making the flesh and all its actions and sins cease and calm down. That's the only way. That's the only way. Glory to God. Now, church, in those three sessions, please go and listen to them again. I believe that as you grab a hold of this, you will truly find what is freedom from the fear of not having money. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This is called grace. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you that you've come and you've shared your life with us and that we can see the resurrected Jesus. And His goodness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for that. And that we can preach it here today. I declare with everybody watching here that His mind is enlightened to see this and that He is free from the fear of not having money. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen. Thank you so much and I'll see you again next week. God bless.